0: everybody. This is Chris and Kathy from Petability podcast. We wanted to take a minute to thank you all for tuning in. We appreciate every listener and are grateful for this platform. Please help us share our vision by subscribing to Petability
1: podcast through your favorite streaming app. Subscribe to our YouTube channel at Petability podcast
0: and share our content on social media. You can also support the show by making a donation. Simply go to our website at petabilitypodcast.bussprout.com and click on the heart symbol at the top of the page. Thanks for listening. We hope you enjoy the show.
1: Welcome to Petability. I'm your host, Kathy Simons.
0: And I'm your host, Chris Cranston. Our podcast provides interviews and information to help your pets live their best lives. Hey, Kathy, are you ready for an enriching podcast? Ooh, Chris, I am. Do tell. Well, okay, but I think all of our our podcasts are are quite enriching, but that might be a... Personal bias, but today, today we are going to focus on enrichment as a topic.
1: I am so excited about this that this is our whole
0: jam: enrichment, mm-hmm. enrichment, enrichment. Yes, and it, it it covers so many layers of what we do in rehabilitation. And so I am happy we're finally targeting enrichment because, ah, no pun intended, because mm-hmm. uh, we do tend to mention it almost every podcast. And today, today we have the goddess of enrichment with us. Her name is Amanda Shine. So exciting. I know. So in her online bio, Amanda states, quote, I love animals so much that I made it my PhD and my career. (laughs) Now, to me, that's enough said. I don't even think we need to go on, right? That's right. Speaks for itself, but I will. So Amanda pursued a graduate degree in animal behavior at Northeastern University in Boston. Amanda's Ph.D. dissertation examined the effects of environmental enrichment on zoo animal welfare. And the rumor is she has some great zoo stories that uh, I'm sure we'd love to hear today, right? Yeah, I can't wait to hear those. I know, I know. So I met Amanda originally when she was teaching a dog agility seminar. Amanda is the founder of Data-Driven Agility, and due to her training as a researcher, her agility school takes a scientific approach to dog training. Amanda is always trying to find new ways to enrich the everyday lives of dogs, train new skills, and build our relationship with our dogs. Fantastic. Yes. So her home is in Vermont. And I happen to know that not only does she have an entire pack of dogs of all shapes and sizes, but also a cat, two miniature horses, and several rabbits. Hmm. I actually think that at the time I took that agility seminar, she just acquired her second miniature horse and I got to mm-hmm. see pictures and video is delightful. So I'm sure she has all kinds of enriching uh, experiences that she's providing for her menagerie and right. also her, her little human that she lives with Theo. Yes. A human children need
1: enrichment too. <laughs>
0: <laughs> I just didn't know if that's, you wanted to say anything. That's, that's what I heard. That's what I hear. I don't <laughs> So, Kathy, without further ado, I'd like to welcome Amanda Shine. Welcome, Amanda. As a segue, Amanda, can you tell us a bit about what your dissertation involved? I know it was a, an agility colleague of mine that that shared your dissertation with me online, and I didn't even know that you had this life before agility. When I read the uh, paper, I was just fascinated, and I probably butchered what your outcome was but I know I've shared it with many a pet client in the rehab world over time to try to get them to do more enriching activities with their their pets.
2: Yeah, so um you know I've always been like I said interested in animal behavior and and I initially thought that I wanted to be a veterinarian and then I worked for a vet for um some time and I realized that really what I was interested in was the behavior of animals not so much their um you know, their uh, physical well-being. And I cared more about their behavioral well-being. And so at the zoo, um, you know, pets, as a general rule, certainly compared to zoo animals, tend to have a lot more, um, their life is just more enriching. There's more people, there's more things going on, there's toys, they're Interacting oftentimes a lot of pets get to go places, but zoo animals are in kind of the same exhibit day in and day out, and a lot of our zoo animals have um, engage in behavior that is indicative of poor welfare, so they'll um, pace they'll do other sorts of stereotypes and I was really interested in coming up with um different ways to provide them with enrichment so that they could engage in behaviors that gave them some agency and let them kind of have some control over over their environment.
0: So wasn't it a, some sort of ungulate animal? I think uh, they were given food and a dish, traditional feeding, and then also food that they had to work for. And hands down, these animals chose the food that they had to work for.
2: There have been so many studies that have shown that, um, monkey, I mean, just, uh, across the board, um, with the exact same type of food. If they have, uh, open food in a bowl, these animals will generally work for, um, food that they would not eat on their own. And, and in fact, my little, um, mini poodle giggle will do the exact same thing. If I try to give her kibble in a bowl, she will not eat it. Um, but if I ask her to sit and I click and I give it to her, uh, she'll eat it as a reward. Um, and she's the only one of mine who's, who's like that. But, um, a lot of the zoo animals will, will do, you know, uh, do that. I think agency is really, um, uh, important for the well-being of kind of all of us, um, and 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 so some of the the different studies that that we did. There was one um, we were I was working with uh, ocelots that are a type of fishing cat at the zoo. And cats kind of traditionally are have a they're not great zoo animals. Um, they tend to have a lot of stereotypes and and stuff. And so we just I I used to go to this fishing store and I'd get. Twenty fish and would stock the um the little pond that was in um the ocelot's enclosure, and those animals would come alive and they mm-hmm. um it, you know they would just fish and be hunting all day and really um interacting with their environment amanda we we've we've talked um and said
1: the word enrichment a couple of times I'm wondering if you could. Give our audience the technical
2: uh, definition definition of enrichment. It's really anything where it, it is intended to um, enhance the quality or value of um, of, the, of something, right? So, um, I think of something as enriching if um, an animal has to work for the food rather than just gets um, free food. Right. Uh, in general, like we were really focused on, um, trying to provide, um, environmental enrichment that was, um, specific to the the species of animals so that, you know, the different types of fishing cats could actually fish for fish. And, you know, African wild dogs, we, we weren't going to give them Uh, live prey, but we still were trying to encourage them to, um, search for and look for food and investigate and, um, uh, you know, engage in in their normal
1: behavior, engage in their normal behavior. Right. Yeah. Um, I, I just wanted to, uh, first of all, I'm, I'm always interested in the emotional lives of animals. I think I probably bring it up every single time Chris and I have a podcast. And when I think about enrichment, it makes me think, um, of how, uh, how enrichment is intertwined with, um, an animal's, any animal's quality of life. And so if you think about our pets and their quality of life, um, and, and just to define quality of life, um, you know, uh, Dr. Frank uh, McMillan, the author of um, M- Mental Health and Well-Being in Animals, describes it as a balance between pleasant and unpleasant experiences. Just like us, our dogs or pets are going to experience some uh, pleasant things, um, mm-hmm. and they're going to experience some unpleasant things, right? And right. so when I think about, you know, there's all these factors in quality of life. And as a veterinary technician, the first things I always think of is, does a pet have pain? Are we able to control this pain? Are they eating enough? Are they drinking enough? Do they have mobility or do they need to be helped with their their mobility? Um, And also the final one is joy. Are our pets able to experience something that brings them joy? And I think that's where the environmental enrichment piece really comes in and engaging them in these normal behaviors. And so dogs or cats or pets that are limited in activity or new experiences um, might very well, you know, experience things like uh, depression, isolation, boredom, helplessness. So it all just sort of intertwines
2: with that quality of life. Absolutely, yeah. Um, <clears throat> I mean, I think the uh, freedom to express normal behavior is kind of the thing that I was always focused on. Right. Um, and um, it, you know, there are some behaviors that you can look at, and you know that. The animal is having a positive experience or or at least you could say it looks like something or it, it mm-hmm. looks like it feels like something like we would say as as joy or, you know, it's an emotion similar to um, uh, a human feeling proud or similar to a human um being excited and um yeah i'm you know i i really want to provide example uh, possibilities for my dogs to have those emotions and right. and to feel like they're in control of different aspects of their lives and and one of my big things is everybody has to work for food right. and in my house so <laughs> you know they they're um, uh, they either have to forage for food and, uh, um, in the yard, or they eat out of food toys. My miniature horses have all sorts of food toys. In the summer, I don't tend to worry about them as much because they have fields where they get all their food, and it's kind of similar to, um, you know, them in, in a more... Um, Natural environment, um, but I really try. And the same with my rabbits; um, yeah. they live in big enclosures, so they just eat the grass and stuff. Um, and but, you know what, Avanta,
1: yeah. it feel it feels good to me too to see them. It feels good for me too to see my Absolutely. dog succeed, yeah. to see him succeed yeah. or accomplish or problem solve or what looks like he's proud of himself. Like nothing right. makes me happier
2: to be like. Dude, you really are good at everything. (laughs) You know, it's funny when um, I've had this experience several times with pet dogs as opposed Mm -hmm. to agility dogs, because I think agility dogs already kind of know the behavior so much that I don't see it as much. But in some cases where I've had somebody bring a pet dog, you know, over to my house or whatever, and they try to get the dog to go through the tunnel. And then at some point, the dog goes through the tunnel. And and on several occasions, the dogs have just been so proud of themselves. <laughs> They're crazy, it's the best. and oh my gosh, did you see me? And uh, I went in this side, and I came out the other side. <laughs> You know, and you know. and it's really it's a you know, and I don't know exactly what the feelings are, but they right. certainly look very similar to what a person does when they're feeling proud. And, right. you know, in that situation, uh, that would make sense. And, um, you know, the, I truly I think that's one of my favorite things to see is is a dog feeling really
0: proud of themselves. You know Amanda earlier you said that you would go get bait fish for the fishing cats at the zoo and put them in their pond. For our listeners out there, the average pet owners, you know I it just I don't think this has to be rocket science, right? Um it just needs to kind of make sense. So as long as it isn't causing our pets fear or physical harm. I think it's a good idea just to, you know, present things and experiences that are novel, uh, that stimulate their senses, that speaks to what the animal would do in their natural environment. So yeah, just being creative out there and, and trying different things.
2: Well, so, um, I don't know whether it was like, it was during the pandemic, so I'm not sure if it was last summer or the summer before, but I went to a goat farm, which was kind of random. I just, for, I was just meeting a friend there and, and, um, and so we were kind of, the person was showing us around and it was so cool and everything. And when we were leaving, I said, can I just take a little bit of, uh, a little bit of their poop in a bag and bring it home <laughs> Which, you know I don't I don't think that the person had ever heard that before because she was <laughs> quite horrified. I bet not <laughs> but you know when I got home I just kind of sprinkled it um over in the corner of my yard and and just thought that everybody would enjoy having a new smell or something and and um you know I don't know that they did but that's I want to give them as many experiences as they can have. I will mention though, um, so one of the things with my research with the zoo animals, I did something called a meta-analysis, where you ask a very small question um and you get everything that's ever been written about that question. And and the question I asked was, does environmental enrichment improve welfare? And so I had stud- I had hundreds of studies in this. And what what did come out was that, um, enrichment that used food was absolutely the most effective. So animals having to work for food. So I was really hopeful that some of the scent studies would have a big impact on the animals welfare, but it, it was, um, and I'm not saying that it doesn't, but, um, the food enrichment was certainly the, uh, The one type of enrichment that was the most powerful in reducing stereotypes and improving overall welfare.
0: You mentioned stereotypes a couple of times, and I'm not sure I know what that means. Can you explain what a stereotype is? So, a stereotype is something that, um, so um,
2: a lot of people think about like a polar bear pacing back and forth. Um, A lot of animals will roll their heads. Um, uh, sometimes different primates will pick their hair. Um, and you can see it in, in our pets too. I mean, there are horses who will, um, do this head roll when they're in their stall for too long. Anything that's really repetitive, um, and, um, yeah, it's an indicator of poor welfare. So are they trying to provide self-stimulation? I think it's more self-soothing. Um, and one of the um there was a res- research study and i i don't have it in front of me but that was looking at you know it's an indicator of poor welfare and yet if you look at animals who engage in those stereotypes versus animals that are in the same environments that don't the animals that engage in those stereotypes often um have lo- have better uh, cortisone levels and stuff, mm-hmm. which is a indicator of, um, welfare, uh, too. So, um, it does seem to provide something that they need. Um, but it does indicate that the environment is lacking something.
1: Yeah. You know, Amanda, for a long time, um, for the last 30 years, I've been working with and for, um, an avian veterinarian. And I would say the most common thing we see in avian medicine is feather plucking from birds who are stressed because we can't repeat we can't really duplicate their environment very well and so a lot of the smaller birds do seem to do okay in in clutches with like budgies and cockatiels but some of these bigger birds that we have amazons african greys these birds that have an extremely high level of intelligence are for screaming and and feather picking yeah. Um, and I noticed that their lives are also, you know, a fair amount shorter than the, the same bird that would maybe, you know, live, you know, in the wild barring, of course, that didn't get eaten by anything, but, right, you know, right. as far as their environment and, and eating and stuff like that. And I think that that's an area, you know, for, for us as veterinary professionals to, uh, you know, think about everybody, not just your like you said before, not just your dog, but your cat, your bird, your rabbit. Maybe people don't think about environmental enrichment for rabbits, but they need it. Um, yeah. We talked to a woman a couple of months ago who has a tortoise and she takes her tortoise for walks like her tortoise yes. has everything. Um, and genuinely, I would see when I look at her Instagram because I love to go there. It sort of seems happy. She goes out, she's got her head out. People are patting her um, yeah. and she goes for a walk down the road. So we really need to think about it across the board for any living, any living creature. What can we do um, to enhance their lives like that? And so yeah. I'm, and I'm wondering too, like it sounds like enrichment doesn't necessarily have to be uh, problem solving. Maybe it's just introducing a new, uh, a novel
2: object or a novel activity. Um, it doesn't necessarily have to be problem solving. Would that be true? No, yeah. I I don't think it. I mean, I don't think that there's much problem solving um, going. So my rabbits live in really large outdoor areas where they just eat the grass all summer. And I don't think that there's much problem solving going (laughs) on there. I think they're just, you know, eating, eating. Exactly. But they're doing it themselves. They're choosing when they're you know, having to move around to get it and stuff. And and I think that that's an enriching environment. Same with the horses in the summer, you know, they're eating in a natural way, um, and it gives them choices. They can it, move over yeah, here. Exactly. They can move over there. Yeah, they could bask different in the sun. Grass. There's different, yeah. you know, the horses. There are some spots in the fields, and with the rabbits as well. Yeah. there's there's some grass that looks so perfect to me. Like if I if I was going out to pick the rabbits some grass, and I was somewhere, I would totally pick it because it's lush and green. And yet they don't like it that much. They're and like no. Nope. There's they have an aspect of choice, whereas yeah. you know in the winter everything gets eaten right down. And, and they're kind of stuck with the hay and the grain that I provide. And and I tried to, again, I put it in different balls and stuff. So they have to move the ball around to get it. But um, th- there's less choice. I think It's just very important that um, animals work for food. Yeah, um, I agree. I agree. Yeah. Um, and, and I, I think it's that hard to make that a part of everyday life. Right. Um, and um, yeah, so, yep. You know,
1: Odison has a whole bunch of great interactive toys and puzzles that you can put food in. You have to move the flap, move this, pick this up, turn that to get your food. And one of the things my dog has that he loves, one of his favorite things is a snuffle ball. Um, yeah. Yep. I have to hide it. I have to hide the snuffle ball because if he sees it. <laughs> Yeah, um, but it's so much, you know, he's yeah. engaging his, um, senses, his sense of smell, he's mobile and moving around, which Chris and I love. Cause we love to talk about rehab and movement. Yeah. Um, and, and it, it breaks up his boredom. It breaks up any part of his day. Like it's freezing here today. We're going right. to get out the snuffle ball and then he's going to love
2: well, it. One, one of the things that I, I just do when I have, you know, I have multiple dogs, so I, I don't tend to do it with everybody loose, but if it's a really cold day, I'll, you know, have one dog in the living room with me at a time and I'll just throw a handful of food behind the chair, behind the couch, all around and you know, and that's just something that gives them, you know, something to do and something to look for and foraging Um, natural behavior. Yeah.
1: Yeah. Amanda, if somebody threw a bunch of chocolate chip cookies around my house, I swear (laughs) to you, I would spend the whole day foraging for those. Um, but so, I, do the
2: same so I have, yeah. I have a funny, um, I have done some online classes with, uh, enrichment for pet dogs, um, cause I teach a lot of agility online. And so I've, I've taught a few environmental enrichment for dogs online and there was this one, uh, and, and kind of the main one that I tell everybody is, and I have all these videos of my dogs foraging, um, outside. And, and one of the great things is when you do a good forage, there's no sort of, Uh, People always are like, well, why aren't they fighting? And um, they're not fighting because it's one piece of kibble. And by the Mm -hmm. time they eat it, it's gone and there's nothing to kind of guard. Right. Right. So anyway, so this uh, one girl was uh, foraged her dogs and and her boyfriend or husband was Did not like it. He thought that it was very mean and and they should just get right. And so she sent in this video of me and the guy's out there on his knees picking up pieces of kibble
0: to give (laughs) his dog.
2: So, you know, I don't know. I guess I enriched his day. Yeah, there's his enrichment. (laughs) There's his enrichment, Amanda. He went out there and
1: picked up that. Um, Yeah, I imagine that there might be some misconception that, that you think that it might not be nice or cruel to make your dog work for something. Um, but I don't, I think you're right. I think it's all part of the enriching process. I think that they enjoy working for the thing. And I think that it's also very bonding for you and your dog to train, right? Yeah.
2: Well, I I mean, I would go a step further than that and say, it's actually a need. I think it's a behavioral need. And when we, we talk a lot in the zoo research about behavioral needs and one thing that's hard for people to understand is, you know, they don't really think of behavior as a need. But there are things that you need to do. And if you don't do them, your welfare is poor. And um, and I think searching for and having some agency and some um, um, over, you know, access to food, which is the most kind of basic thing is a need. It's not just um, something fun for us to do with our dogs. I think they actually have a need to do it.
1: So. Amanda, I, I have to just brag about how smart my dog is. Taught him, and I was so proud of myself. Yeah, we, we got him a mat, and we said, "You're going to eat all your meals here on the mat, and all you have to do when, when the meals are ready is go to your mat, be quiet, no barking, wait, yep. and, and wait, um, and keep your butt on the mat, and then I'll put the food down, and you've earned it by sitting and staying and being quiet." Yep. And he gets he eats at three o'clock, and at two thirty, the little stinker <laughs> goes gets the mat, Amanda. And brings
0: it to where you go. Oh, that's the so sad That's <laughs> so sad Sat cute. on it and said, Here it is. I'm sitting and being quiet. <laughs> Kathy, I'd like to take a small break here to introduce our brand new sponsor, a dog's best life box.com. What better time to launch this sponsor than during an enrichment podcast because this is a subscription enrichment box that you can order online and it indre- addresses so many things that are going to enhance your life with your dog. So again, it's called a dogs best life Chris, I am so
1: excited and so happy to be partnering with a dog's best life Box. This is what we are all about. Enrichment, enrichment, enrichment. Now, each box is going to come with an enrichment toy, chew toy, some high-value training treats, recipes, and my favorite part, an activities challenge
0: card so you and your dog can learn something new together. They have one-time monthly or quarterly seasonal subscriptions the price is right. You cannot get this type of quality product if you were to buy it individually for this package price. And, and just for our listeners, a special gift that is a fantastic treat pouch that includes it has a built in squeaker. I've never seen this out there. I mean, this company really strives to have, have products that you can't typically get at your local pet store or the big box store. Yes. And if you go, when you do
1: go to a dog's best Life use the promo code pet pod 22 that's P E T P O D 22
0: capital letters and receive 10% off on your order. Kathy, you are always concerned as am I about the emotional lives of our pets and in this box you will have tools to address their emotional lives and ensure their joy so again go to a dog's best com and put in pet pod 22 to get both 10% off and your special gift through the petability podcast. So, Amanda, you have mentioned and used this word agency and choice a couple of times. And in preparing for this talk today, our little chat, I actually looked up, um, you know, some kind of technical stuff in terms of, of definitions and things online. And, and that's one of the things that they talk about. So I'm just going to read this and and see if you have any comments. So, oh, Perfect. Environmental or behavioral enrichment is the process of manipulating an animal's environment to increase physical activity and normal species typical behavior that satisfies the animal's physical and psychological needs. It reduces stress and therefore promotes overall health by increasing an animal's perception of control over their environment and by occupying their time. Yeah. And they say that the the techniques utilized generally fall into five categories. And the first is food-based enrichment, which we've talked about. Sensory enrichment, which we haven't touched on a whole lot, but let's review for our audience what the five senses are. So sight, smell, touch, hearing, and taste. Novel objects would be the third one in the list. Social enrichment and positive training. Mm -hmm. So... In, in that vein, I've been thinking of this uh, the, the whole time. I recently was um, sent a little uh, video on YouTube of a fish in Israel that was put into a glass tank on the floor. And there's all kinds of sensors and things. And the researchers are, you know, kind of looking from above and behind a wall. And this fish is in this tank in the middle of this empty space. And as the fish swims, it is controlling the directionality of the tank. They The researchers were saying it did not take long. It's, it looks like a typical goldfish, you know, some sort of goldfish. Yep. Yep. For this goldfish to determine that it had control over its environment. They could witness that. Mm-hmm. And... I mean, how amazing is that, 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 you know, when we think about, you know, all the things that we can do and, and how enriching, like, if we get these mobile fish tanks in our, in our, (laughs) for our pets, (laughs) (laughs) they're no longer so much more fun. That is as a
2: pet owner too, to like, you know, um, to see that,
0: um, yeah, that's really cool. I just thought that was amazing. So yeah. um, would you say that, that those things that I touched on as I was reading there, that that, that kind of sums things up in terms of?
2: Yeah, I mean, I, I would mention that other than the social um Uh, enrichment, which is obviously very, very important. All of those do have aspects of food. So I think of positive reinforcement training, you know, usually we use food for that. So there's still an aspect for working for food. And then with sensory taste is, um, you know, really um, important. I know that they've done a lot of, especially in zoos, they've done a lot of different things with um, scent because scent is so important to animals. Um, But, uh, you know, food is luckily, I think it's really easy for pet owners to just control that. And and it is so important and searching and foraging for food is a very calming behavior. Mm -hmm. They're very kind of relaxed and low key and, and they'll search for food and then they'll take a break and sleep for an hour or so, or do whatever, and then go back to it a few hours later. So, you know, um, you know i don't know the exact um situation but you know i certainly think that some of that food could be
0: foraged sure um, sure and wouldn't need to be as wet yeah and you said, too, earlier that like you'll you'll have one dog at a, at a time in your living room or you'll have one piece of kibble that they're they're searching for. So then there's no resource guarding because it's one. So, and done. No,
2: no. Oh, I'm glad you said that. No. Oh. So I have when I every morning I forge the dogs outside. And I forage all my dogs together other than Joe, who is, um, aggressive, but everybody else goes out together and I do, it's a real scatter though. Like I, I don't just throw a pot of food because there would be a lot of fighting, but I go out and I scatter all the food and it's so scattered that when a dog finds a piece of kibble, it's gone. So again, there's nothing for them to resource guard. And I have a big yard. When I do it in the house, like in the living room, that's when I'm real careful about only having one dog because it's a smaller space. Yep. Um, and um, there could there could be some kind of grumpiness going on about food. But outside where they have a nice big fenced in yard, everybody gets forged together. And I am very careful about weight. Um, I do my son's lab. Um, she usually is locked up when I do the first scatter and the border collies kind of get a crack at it for, (laughs) you know, a while before I let her out because he's the cleanup crew. He is the cleanup crew. Yes. So, you know, and, and then also I do have, um, you know, both my mini poodle and one of my border collies always gets a separate food toy in their crate at night because, um, they don't work hard enough for the scatter and and they won't have enough to eat and they get thin. So, you know, I mean, I'm, I'm very careful about their weight and I, um, you know, I have my hands on them all day anyway, but I do think about their weight probably more than I would have to, if I was just doing, uh, normal feeding, um, with
0: them. Right. Cause it's a little bit, uh, a little bit less predictable. I mean, exactly. you know, again, if you exactly. are measuring, you know, that quarter cup and putting it in their right. bowl, you know exactly how much they're eating. But right. and one of the quotes that I always tell my, my clients is, uh, to put your dog's food in a bowl is actually doing them a disservice. And they always look at me kind of wide eyed, you know, and then that's when I go into the whole, you know, foraging. I just had a client, a new client uh, last week that her dog is really food motivated yep. and he's on prednisone so he's he's hungry um yep. and so i said he he had a little neurological episode and could really benefit from movement he's 12 years old um yep. he could benefit from you know working on his balance and there's you know, all all kinds of things so i said hey what about you know scattering some treats around your your house and and having yeah. them you know forage for them and look for them? And she just looked at me and she said, Oh, he won't he won't eat them. And <laughs> I just thought that
2: <laughs> that was really <laughs> strange. So so then I think she should cut up some meatballs and make the treats higher value, you know, yeah. if, if they're not willing to work for the kibble or whatever else, then you can, you know, make it a higher value treat or yep. whatever. Yep. I mean, I've used it, um, you know, I generally have border collies that are all crazy. And um, I had a dog, Dilly, who was terrified of my kitchen floor because it was slippery. Mm -hmm. And so I used to just lock him. uh, There were he had a room next to the kitchen and then he had the kitchen and I would scatter the food in the kitchen and then I'd go off to work. This was back when I was a professor. And, um, you know, and that's how he would. And it was. You know, he had all the time in the world and he could go and and kind of and he got himself um, accustomed to um, going in the kitchen that way. The one the one thing that I will mention about when you um, talked about environmental enrichment and you said it reduces stress. I do think there are times when um, uh, enriching behaviors or activities increase stress, too, Um hmm. And and as I forget which one of you said, there are, you know, there, it, we can't just have positive experiences in oh, life. Oh, that There's was Kathy. Yeah. Yeah. That's between positive negative. and negative. Exactly. exactly. And, um, you know, I do think it's OK for our animals to go through some stress and um, and to kind of, you know, as I'm trying to tell uh Uh, teach Theo, like you've got to work through things and you can be frustrated and work through it. And, and, you know, there, I have the pretty hard food toy that I just gave to Joe um, uh, Joker the other day. And he, I was working out with the horses and he was working at it. And then he just looked at me and just started barking and stopped doing the toy. And, you know, he was really frustrated and I don't think his stress was reduced. I think his mm. stress was increased. Mm. Um, but then I kind of left him alone with it. And by the time I came out, you know, a few hours later, he had gotten
0: all of the food. And um, yeah, so. Yeah, my julep does the same thing. It, yeah. If I give her a puzzle toy, she'll yeah. maybe try it for a very short period of time. And then she backs up and, and looks, looks at so me cute. and barks. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Help me, mom. Yeah. So would you say, well, first of all, I just want to enrichment and behavioral enrichment and environmental enrichment. Those are all kind of synonymous terms. Is that true? Yeah, I I generally
2: think of and I don't know how how much of this is uh, true in the field, but I think of environmental enrichment as a little bit more trying to make the In enclosure or the, you know, um, I I think of it for zoo animals that you're trying to create an environment that, so for a fishing cat, for them to have a pond, for them to have access to the different things. Whereas I think of enrichment as maybe, uh, uh, like you said, a Kong with food in it or something. So
0: that makes um, sense. Yeah. Yeah. And, and thank goodness. I mean, you know, as a kid, no matter where we went, you know, on vacation or traveled, it's like I wanted to go to the zoo, right? That was yeah, just right. my passion. And I can remember, you know, watching those animals pacing, whether it was the tiger or fairly recently, this was in my adulthood. Um, they had African dogs at the Phoenix zoo and my heart just broke because it, it seemed like a pretty, decent um enclosure but the, the pacing those stereotypes that you're talking about but you know it's just so wonderful how over the decades right that so much effort has been put into you know changing at least the space um you know and making it mimic more what those animals are meant to live in and you know i watched like the zoo um on on animal planet and i had the for my birthday i went to the bronx zoo and right. you know all of the things you know where they hide their food and and you know have to find it um, within things or under things or back of things and you know so it's come such a long way and and i'm going to you know take a leap here because i think in the beginning amanda you said you know it, it comes more naturally with pets um, just living with them that they get enriching activities yep. more naturally. So it seems like this whole buzzword of enrichment has really um, been brought forth by appreciating what the captive animals are going through in zoos. And I've also read recently about like, uh, and we hate to even think about this, but like the laboratory animals, you know, the, the animals that are in captivity because of um, science and studies and, and such.
2: Well, there were, there's something called the Bramble, um, uh, there was the Bramble committee and they came up with the, um, five freedoms and it came about, um, back in I think the 1960s and it was, um, originally there was a book written, um, talking about animal machines. And, um, there was this outcry from, um, uh, the British people and they just said, you know, um, and it was looking at the welfare of farm animals. I'm sorry. I should have started with that. So it was Mm. uh, looking at the welfare of farm animals. Gotcha. And, um, so the, um, so they did this whole big, um, Uh, committee looking at what was kind of required, and they came up with the five freedoms. And so these are the things that zoos and labs really are kind of um, working for. And and I think four of them are pretty (coughs) obvious. So like freedom from hunger and thirst, freedom from discomfort, freedom from pain or injury and freedom from, um, fear and distress. Those are kind of, of of course, right. Animals should be free of those. But the last one is the freedom to express normal behavior. And that is one of the things that is very hard in a lab, in a lab environment. Mm -hmm. Um, and often in zoo environments, um, um, and yeah. I think that that's what a lot of the people are, you know, who, who really do care about the animals are trying to give them,
0: <laughs> and, you know, we, t- we've talked a lot about, you know, dogs and how you, you enrich for them and you, you yeah. kind of touched on, you know, that you do, um, like when the, the, uh, horses, for example, can't be out in the pasture. Um, so what, what do you do specifically for them? Do you do any like D Y I kinds of, uh, things to, you know, feed them and. So, so, um, for my dogs,
2: everybody has to work for food during the day and some more than others. Like, um, I do have, um, those few dogs who. Uh, in addition to foraging, also get food puzzles in their crates. Everybody, um, uh, has to take a walk every day. I I say every day when I'm having a trial here or having a seminar here, everybody suffers a little bit. No, we don't get our walks, um, our walks in, but everybody has the chance to explore every single day. And, And I do multiple walks because I have a, I have Joker, who's my, um, lovely dog who's wonderful, but very, very aggressive. So he can't go out with the other dogs. And so he has an individual walk, but sometimes he goes with the girl dogs because he's good with the girls. Um, but then, you know, everybody else. And and luckily I live in a place where I have them off leash, which um, is also really nice. And I know not everybody can do that, but um, we go on an off leash walk every day. Usually everybody gets two walks, Um, and then they work for food and those are the things that are absolutely constant of every single one of my dogs.
0: I want to interject here a second, just because, um, one of my clients actually mentioned that she had recently read not to stress out about bringing her dog in this case to a different or novel place to walk every day because the scent profile in her neighborhood, she's in the city, is constantly changing, and it would be anywhere, right? Right. So dogs, you know, bring in so much of their world. That's how they see the world is through smell. And, you know, I'd always told people like, well, you know, walk in a different place, you know, drive them to a park, you know, go in an opposite direction, you know, whatever, because as a person, I was kind of projecting that on the dogs but when she told me that i'm like that was an aha moment because it's so true you know the way the wind is wafting and whatever's in the air they're getting that as as yeah. a um enrichment activity and i remember you know as a kid i mean we just let the dogs out in the yard sure right. that was enriching but right. we never took them on walks ever right and right. kathy kathy used this phrase recently and i love it she said um the more we know, the more we grow. And I have certainly grown over time. And so, you know, in addition to my dogs going in the yard, they definitely get daily walks. So yeah. carry on. Yeah. Um,
2: yeah, I think that's a great I, I, I wish that my dogs I wish I was more. Um, adventurous and, but there aren't too many places I'll let everybody off leash. So, so I am kind of, I do tend to take the same walk frequently. Um, And, and you're right, you know, there are always, there are always different places where everybody's over there and whether a deer was there or something, but you're right, the environment Mm -hmm. does change. Um, And then, a lot of my dogs, um, you know, there's a lot of, uh, I do a lot of training. Um, I won't say everybody gets trained every day. Um, in fact, I have like my son's lab almost never gets trained. Uh, I never train her. Um, uh, uh, but she gets different attention from him, you know, but most of my dogs will get some aspect of training every day, all my young ones do. Um, And those are kind of the three things that I think of as the core and then of kind of every day, day in and day out. And then whenever, um, you know, as I said about the goat farm, then I'm always kind of on the lookout for something new and um, doing something different and, um, you know, trying a new activity. And um, so like some of my um, I have an old, Joker is a little bit older and, you know, his agility career is um winding down. And so I'm having fun doing different tricks and different Frisbee tricks with him and having him learn new things. And one of my dogs, I'm teaching to do a handstand and, um, <laughs> you know, just because simple, uh,
0: simple things.
2: Yeah. And I taught <laughs> I taught uh, him and Joe to jump on my back so so they can jump on my back and, and um, they look over my shoulder. It's very cute. I have to be careful, though, because mm-hmm. I have to have a coat on or it really hurts. No, <laughs> I bet. Um, so, yeah, I mean, uh, does that
0: answer your question? Yeah, but what about for some of the other animals? I'm curious. I was oh, reading oh, okay. yep. And I was reading online, I think it was a study or some sort of magazine um and they use this phrase. It was like enrichment equals caring. And I know we have talked a lot about food, but I always, always think about like food equals love. And so, you know, kind of beyond that enrichment equals caring. And they were talking about the pocket pets, like the, the rabbits and, yep. and uh, Guinea pigs and so forth. And one of the things they suggested was just trying different types of bedding can be yeah, enrichment. enriching that's yeah and uh, the different chew
2: things uh different types of wood for them to chew on um my rabbits have um i have two uh, really big enclosures one for the young males and then one with the girls because the the males when they get older they uh, get aggressive with each other but um when they're young they don't um and my girls really don't fight at all but i put i have things where um, they're always getting different types of woods that they like to chew on. Um, I have one of my favorite enrichment things, uh, to see with both the horses and the rabbits is, um, I, um, screwed some, um, what are they called? Those hard brushes, like scrub brushes, I guess, mm. or, um, mm-hmm and, uh, the horses love to scratch on those. And so do the rabbits and mm-hmm. you see them over there rubbing on those. And those are, those are really cool. And, and my rabbits I have, um, and I, this was completely unintentional as an um, enrichment toy, but I have, um, my son and I like to sit out with them, um, at in the evening over the summer and we have a picnic table in with the girls and we'll often have dinner in there and then we'll sit in this swing and just kind of hang out with them. And the rabbits love the swing and they jump on that swing. swing, uh, Yeah. And so (laughs) that has been like this great toy that, you know, I didn't really see as uh, uh, I didn't put it in there thinking that the rabbits would like it, but, you know, and, and then just giving them, um, they, they love climbing. I'm always seeing my rabbits up high on. So I have a, a big, um, indoor, uh, like shed for them to go in and in the winter. And I just ended up putting kind of stairs so they can climb up to the top. And I'm always seeing my rabbits up, you know, 12 feet in the air, looking around and just investigating and, just opportunities for them to use their brains, use their bodies, you know, in, in, um, new ways. Um, and, uh, one of the fun things I do with my rabbits is I, um, I, (coughs) I love hostas and hostas are, Um, edible and and are not Mm. a problem and so I have my hosta gardens in with the rabbits which is sounds a little bit ridiculous but it's kind of like this year-long battle where I'm trying (laughs) to have fencing that works and they're trying to get in and you know and and some days I win and some days they win and (laughs) I have um all I have cucumbers out in their areas I have tomatoes and um, you know, I don't tend to eat from my own garden because I'm a pretty limited cook, but I love picking my cucumbers and I just toss it right in with them. And I have apple trees and pear trees in. So when the apples and pears, you know, fall, they, they just get to eat them. And, um, <clears throat> you know, nice. I, yeah. So I, I kind of am somebody who's like anything and everything, as long as it's, um, you know, not harmful as long as the plants are edible. If if they get them, um, you know, you never know what they're going to use.
0: Um, mm-hmm. I, I yeah. was just at a client's house. I I need to send Kathy these uh, pictures and videos. I had no idea I'm treating their dog in the living room, and I glance up and there's a bunny. And. <laughs> She has free range of their house. She's litter box trained and she's 13, which they said is very Uh, old for a rabbit. And uh, you talk about unintended uh, enrichment activities. Nick had made a uh, cart for their dog um, when she was having some trouble walking. And he said it was, you know, a huge failed and work for Penzi. But the rabbit, I think her name was Honey Bun, uh, claimed that cart. Yeah. As you know, hers. And so it had like two shelves and she would jump up onto the shelf and they wheel her around the house on it. And I, and I actually made that statement because i was preparing for our our talk. And this was just last week. And I said, wow, what an enriching activity for Honey Bun. Well, and I'm not surprised
2: because my rabbits love the, the, um, the rocking chair. Um, so, Oh, so, so they have the swing. And so I ended up putting some rocking chairs in and they just love that movement. They love, um, yeah. So I'm not surprised she likes getting wheeled around,
0: which is Mm -hmm. a bit counterintuitive because we're talking about, natural behaviors, you know? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. She likes what she likes. Yep. Yep. (laughs) They like what they
2: like. Well, my horses, I mean, uh, you you don't really think of horses as picking up and playing with toys, but my horses, if any time uh, I'm kind of constantly out there working and stuff and the number of times one of my little minis, Wolf, has grabbed my um, hammer and run off with it, I can't tell you. He just loves anything that he's kind of not supposed to have. Ooh. Uh, naughty,
0: naughty <laughs> boy. Yeah. <laughs> yeah.
1: <laughs> so it's funny. He thinks it's funny.
0: Yeah. And <laughs> as they say, when you have a hammer, the world becomes your nail. <laughs> I like that. I hadn't heard that before. Ah, <laughs> yes. Yeah. So, uh, ladies, as we're sort of wrapping
1: up here, mm-hmm. um, I had I had one. You know, I think if we could just make that, that impact statement about what what is the fallout from not having good environmental enrichment? Can we just address that? I, mean, I know we've talked about it a little bit, but what's the fallout for not having that for these animals, for our pets?
2: Well, I don't think that they have the opportunity to live, but gosh, this sounds awful, live their best life, you know? Right. I mean, I think that... Um, it, You know, in order to kind of get all their um, behavioral needs met in order to be as joyful as they can be, um, you know, I think... A lot of that has to do with enrichment. And and I do think that there are a lot of people who have pets where just kind of their natural day is enriching. I mean, my dad lives on this um big kind of place where he's out gardening every single day. And um, you know, the dogs live in the woods and go around with the garden, and he doesn't really have to think about enrichment, and yet his dogs have, you know, enrichment. a very enriched <laughs> life. But those of us who maybe have more dogs or don't have as, you know, the ability to have their dogs off leash all the time or, you know, go through the woods and living in that environment. I think it's more important for us to provide those opportunities, even though it's might be in a more artificial way yeah. um, for our animals to have those opportunities to, mm-hmm. you know, um, yeah, and explore if we, their world. Yeah. If we
1: think about, yeah, explore the world. And if we think about it, maybe we,
2: maybe as owners, maybe
1: we tend to think maybe a little bit more about their, their needs as far as like, well, they're indoors and they're getting their food and they're getting, you know, medical attention, but we need to address their emotional and psychological needs as well as their physical needs.
2: Yeah. And I mean, I, I, I don't think that this being tired, being Mm -hmm. physically tired Mm -hmm. is always a good thing, right? For people's (laughs) mental health and for animals, mental health. I think that in the more physical activity that we can give them um, the better.
0: Another thing I read online was mental enrichment is just as, if not more important than physical exercise. And, you know, Kathy and I, are dealing with this all the time when we are rehabbing animals that, um, you know, maybe are recovering from, from injury or disease, yeah. and they can't be as physically active. And so how do we get them tired so that maybe we don't have the fallout of, you know, boredom, uh, destructive behaviors, aggression, self-mutilation, um, you know, things like that um, when they can't be as physically active. And so providing that environmental enrichment is, is key. Yeah, Absolutely. Absolutely um and and you know if if folks out there are still a little bit confused uh about you know what what enrichment may be i actually saw something that was making an analogy To uh, Like kids in the classroom and doing enriching activities, um, you know, like after school programs. So, you know, kind of making this parallel, you know, yes, we need to, you know, learn math and English and, and these kinds of things in school, but we know. That school provides and certainly came out during the pandemic um, so much more than that. Right. So, again, the social interaction and so forth. But they were saying like after school programs that include things like yoga, cooking, sports, um, science experiments, board games, art you know, all of those things that, that, you know, we're struggling to fund because, you know, some of the powers that be don't think that they're that important. Um, But, but that would be, I think, a great analogy between what our pets need and what our children and our society needs and, and falls right into that whole mental enrichment stimulation thing.
2: Yeah. I mean, I used to always think about enrichment was why why we want to be alive. You know, those are the things that we want to do that we want to have fun. Mm.
0: Um, Not the things we need to be alive, but the, why do we want to be alive? What brings us joy? Yeah, Yeah. exactly. Um, That's a good summary. Um, Can you tell us, Amanda, where our listeners might be able to, to find you um, or do you, do you want them to, um, in terms of if they had any questions about enrichment or wanted to look up some information? Um, well, I have a website, data com, and certainly
2: uh and that has my email on it, which is just amandashine at gmail.com if they, if anybody has any questions. Um, I have some uh research articles that they could probably find pretty easily. Um Um, on the web as well
0: yes Um, i did i found a plethora of information um you know from your your research days and i know you briefly mentioned that uh uh you know when you were teaching when you were a professor and um you were in i think the psychology department uh, at bridgewater state yep yeah so um you have a, a ton of stuff out there really cool well thank you
1: Amanda I learned a lot I'm exhausted you guys thank you guys for having me
0: (laughs) yes thank you for taking time out of your day and uh, please give all of the uh, critters at home um uh, a gentle pat and some enriching um activities for me I will I will thank you (laughs) all right take care Amanda thanks you too
1: thank you for joining us we hope you enjoyed our show follow us on Facebook
0: or on Instagram at Petability Podcast. For more information about Kathy's books and living with blind dogs, please go to EnableYourPet.com. Thank you and please tune in next time.